So last, last week we were talking about the blamelessness that we have in Jesus Christ. We talked about incarnating Christ. This is our sermon series for the whole of the year, so we've been actually discussing how we can be more like Jesus in our, in our environment so that when people look at us, they can see something of the attitude and the character of Christ in our lives. We've been discussing this in many different ways, and we got onto a series where it talks about the spiritual power that we have in our lives that shows the, the life of Jesus in our lives. And we're not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit here as if we're talking about healing or the manifestations of miracles or tongues and interpretation or any of those things. We're talking about the kind of lifestyle that we live spiritually to be the sort of person that God wants us to be. Um, we're looking at uh, the spiritual power that blamelessness produces in our lives. In Second Timothy, we're told that in the last days there'll be terrible, terrible times and People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boastful, arrogant, abusive to their mothers and fathers, not lovers of good, but lovers of evil. Um, and this, they said, have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. So we know that there's a, there's a sense where you can go to church and you can be living and doing the church thing, but still not be showing the power of a righteous life. You're living like everybody else in the world. And when people look at you and say, oh, yeah, but I do that, you do all the things that the world does. You get drunk when the world gets drunk. You take drugs when the world takes drugs. You have immoral relationships when the world has immoral relationships. You do all of those things, but you do it throughout the church. And that's sometimes existent in churches today where you see that, that element of godlessness in you know disobedient to their parents and doing wild stuff and you think you know and you call yourself a christian it becomes a great shame for the church to have so many people living like hypocrites and there's no power there in the christian life they deny the power of it they see the power of christianity is the power of a changed life when god thanks brandon when god picks us up and and, and moves upon us and, and and touches our lives and changes our lives People look at us and say, you used to be like this, but now you are different. Now your life is different. You used to drink, you used to smoke, you used to go wild partying all the time, but now things have changed in your life. What's changed in your life? Why is it different in your life? Why do you act different? You used to be angry and violent and, and abusive, but now you're sweet and lovable. And what's changed? Why is it changed in your life? And that's the power of a changed life. Jesus has the power to change your life. He brings us to a place of blamelessness. Now, blameless means, blameless means that the, there is no blame that can be placed on us. And the wonderful thing that we discovered last week is that God does it all for us. That the work of the cross did something that we can't achieve, can't even get near to. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, he took our sin and our blame and he paid the price for that sin and shame and he was punished for it. In the Old Testament, we learned that uh, they would take the Levitical lamb that was the trespass offering or the sin offering or the guilt offering, whatever they had, and they would put their hands on the lamb. Now, the lamb was inspected to see that the lamb was faultless. They looked at the lamb to see that it was blameless. They looked that the lamb was the thing that was being considered at the offering. They looked to see that the lamb was blameless. If the lamb was blameless, then you could put your hands on the head of the lamb and you could you could confess your fault. Your fault would go onto the lamb and the blameless lamb's purity would come onto you and you would be free of guilt. The guilt would now reside in the lamb. The lamb was taken and killed and you were free. You, you were perfect. But they never looked at you to see whether you were perfect when you came to give the offering. They didn't scrutinize you because they knew you were broken. 
They looked at the lamb to see if the lamb was perfect. And Jesus is the perfect lamb who took away the sins of the world. Jesus was our lamb. He, he took away our sins. And so we looked last week at the work that Jesus did at the cross to make us perfect. And then we're going to look, he says, in there, by one sacrifice in the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. With one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I mean, that's very encouraging for me. I'm one of the guys who've got lots of broken pieces all over me. And, and if you look too hard at my life, uh, you're going to find brokenness all over it. But if you look hard at Jesus, you find no brokenness. And his perfection now has clothed my life. And I've been made perfect. And I, yeah, I'm being made holy. God is working his work out in me to make me more holy, to make me more like Jesus every day. I'm being changed to be more like Jesus. But the work, the heavy-duty work that made me acceptable for God was done at the cross. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, which means make you holy, you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ he who calls you is faithful who also will do it so we have some great confidence there from scripture that the effort really is not about you trying to be good a lot of people think that you know to be acceptable before god they have to come to church and once they get to see in church they got to see how the standard is and what they have to do is they have to try and and lift up to that standard you know christians don't drink they don't smoke they don't do this they don't do that and if i can only get myself as good as the people in the church then maybe i have half a chance if i get to heaven or when i get to the door it doesn't work that way nothing if you come into the church thinking that you're going to have to do some good works to get there you won't get there You've got to come in like all the rest of us come and say, we're completely broken. There's absolutely nothing that we could have done to save us from the, the hell that is waiting to gobble us up. Our sin has smashed us so we're irreparable. If you've come in and you're broken, that broken that you can't be fixed up, then Jesus will say, well, listen, take my perfection upon you and I'll make perfect that which is broken. And when God looks at you, if you take Jesus' perfection upon your life, he won't see you, he will see Jesus, the perfect lamb. And he is faithful to complete the work once he begun. So it's not a big effort for, on your part. However, today I said there was two parts of the story, and uh, last week I said we're going to have to talk about the second part, and that's the result of our obedience, or blamelessness as a result of our obedience to the Spirit of God. And some of us, you know, we get caught in this trap here where we think, and we're talking about your obedience now, the sort of things that you want to do. Now, uh, that was what David said was good, you know. He said, don't come to church today thinking about comparing yourself to others and then putting a list of do's and don'ts in front of you, things that you have to do. If you're doing that, that's not what we're going to be talking about today. Christianity, and I want you to get this and say it to your friend, is a relationship. Turn to your person beside and say, Christianity is a relationship. So at the core of it's a relationship. It is not a duty to do a certain number of deeds. So we're not talking about Christianity here that is premised upon doing a list of do's and don'ts because that's legality, that's law. We're talking about a righteous relationship with God. So we're talking today about a relationship. Now, we've got to get our heads, about, heads out of this idea of doing good deeds. Oh, yeah, we're created for good deeds and God wants us to walk in good deeds, but the good deeds come as a result of the relationship, not as an attempt to get into relationship. You want me to say that again? 
Good deeds come as a result of the relationship, not as an attempt to get into a relationship. I don't have to buy flowers and chocolates for Jesus to try and win his heart over. He's already loving me and he's giving me chocolates and flowers and he loves me in spite of what I'm like. The relationship is there. So everything that comes out of my life now comes out of that relationship. And I want to talk to you about that today. In the Bible, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and, and if, you, if you haven't got this memorized, it may be a good thing to memorize because you'll use it, no, no doubt, whenever you are, are talking to somebody about your faith in Jesus Christ. And next year, I want to say to you, we want to run some apologetic classes to help you speak to people and, 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 and defend your faith in Christ. We want to uh, mark that down in your diary when we come, that we're going to actually start doing some of that and, and, and get you out there so that we can start spreading the good news of that name that is greater than every other name, the name of Jesus. We're going to do that next year. So we're just starting in the formative process of actually... Oh, by the way, I want to just give a little bit of a shout-out for Jesus here. I wrote a course um, probably a few months ago to uh, talk about um, the de- deconstruction of marriage and, uh, and what's happened in terms of our, the, the gay laws, you know, in terms of you know, the wanting to change this the same-sex marriage. Uh, In my lecturing, when I do lectures for um, civil celebrants and religious celebrants, we talk about those sort of things. Now, I felt impressed by God to write a course to address the issue directly, which wasn't asked of me to do. The the convener of the the, uh, training organisation I work for is a humanist, so she wants gay marriage. She wants that in. She doesn't want... And, and they wrote a course to support gay marriage and the Attorney General's office declined it for them. At that, I didn't know they wrote a course to do that. But I said to her when I went there, and I said, listen, I've written a course in defence of marriage, the covenant of marriage as according to the Bible. And I said, and it discusses what's going on in the media and it discusses all the stuff that's been happening and, and how, the, how the world is approaching and, and what's brought us to this, this state. She, I said, I'm offering it to you now. I said, I'm going to use it for other ministers because I'm lecturing other ministers outside. I said, you can have it for free. I'm not going to charge you for it if you want. She said, oh, I'll present it to the, um, the Attorney General's office. And she said, I'll get back to you. She says, but I don't think you'll get passed. I got an email today telling us that the course has been accepted and we'll be doing it all next year. So God is good. You know, when he, when he nudges you to do something... Don't sit there and say, oh, listen, I think I just got an idea. Get down and do the hard works and do it. Because if, you, if you're following a nudge, the good works are there because the Spirit is prompting you to do something. You don't have to do something because it's an effort. You do it because it's a response to his nudge. Amen? Amen. And that makes a difference. God knew what was going to happen. He said, Mark, you need to write a course now. I know, okay, I've been, I've, this is 20,000 words. This is like a treaty. Oh, man, it goes forever. <laughs> but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did now, because God opened the door for us. Amen. He says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. See, God is not interested about anybody bragging about themselves in front of him. Okay? So it's not about you, and it's not about how good you are. It's not about believing in yourself. It's not about posting yourself and saying you're pretty good and having how many ticks you get. It's about him. And he set it up so that no one can brag in his presence. I mean, he's the only one that's going to get the likes and you're not going to get any likes at this thing. It's just him. He's the number one. Now, that's good for us because it stops all this nonsense, you know, comparing with each other and trying to, you know, 
get on top of somebody else and be better than somebody else. He says, it's not a works lest any man should boast. You don't have to strive to get to heaven. You don't have to work hard to get there. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He says, so God's made us and he's accepted us, but we're made for a reason. So we already accepted, we're already made, and we're made for a reason, to do good works. You don't have to do the good works to get accepted before God. You are accepted before God, and he's made you to do good works. He didn't make you to sit idly by and not do anything. He didn't make you to sit in the corner and be idle and say, I don't know what to do with my life. He made you so that you can do something. And this is the most amazing thing. Every person that's in this room has the potential to do something for God that is outside your imagination, that's outside your realm of even concepts of where you could go in God. Because God is bigger than you. And he, if you just say, God, what do you want me to do in my life? He could take you and show you some amazing things. And if you believe that, you'd be like the ones in Scripture who just believed. They just left everybody else. They be, the David who stood and faced the Goliath because he believed he could make a difference. Isaiah who stood and saw the glory of God because he believed he could make a difference. Ruth who stood up and could make a difference. You go through the scripture, you see all these individuals through scripture, people who believe that their lives could count for something. And here in this room, it's just the same. It's just up to you whether you just believe that you were created for good works, that God had prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Just imagine that. If God's got a list up there and he says, Heike, this is what I planned. Because he can see the beginning from the end, Heike. He can see when you, when you started following him and he can see the day of your demise or your death. He's got it all in one vision because he lives in the eternal realm. And he can see all the things that he has planned for you even before one day of them occurred. He knows what they are and he knows that and all he wants you to do is just listen to him. You know, you don't have to get a 10-year plan for your life and, and set some goals. You just have to listen to him today. Because if you listen to him today, tomorrow you'll be where he is tomorrow, where you need to be, and he just listened to it again tomorrow. And you will fulfill all of his plan for you. And it'll all be written there. He says, yeah, I had that plan there before you were even born. I had that all happening, you know. I could see all of that taking place before there was one day of it. Can you grasp that? That if you don't live for God, you miss out on something. But if you don't follow the response of the Holy Spirit, if you don't listen to his voice, if you just search where you could be, you won't be because you missed it. So it's something you have to think about. God has ordained that you be there. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed not only in my presence now, but also in my essence. So Paul was saying, you know, look, when I'm around you, you do all the right things when I'm around. He said, but now I'm away from you. He says, I'm not going to be here now. He says, that when I'm absent from you, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And there's one thing you've got to understand there. You have to do some work. It, it's not that good works is a bad thing. It's like you will have to do some works. But you, it's the reason why you're doing the works that we're looking at. You're not doing the works to get some favor with God. You're working out what's inside of you. God puts the salvation inside of you, Quentin, and so you begin to work on a daily basis to bring that fruit out in your life. And it's not your effort, because he goes on and says, he says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he's not even leaving you alone. He's saying, you know, I'm here to help you, Quentin. You've got to get this one out because this is what's inside of you. All the stuff that's in the wrong place is going to have to be moved. So, you know, get to work. And, and he says, and here I am inside you to help you to work it out for my good pleasure. 
So he's just standing there. He's saying, come on, today's a new day. Let's get up. Let's do some praying. And he says, okay, I don't know what to pray. I'll put something in your mind. Oh, I'm glad you put something into my mind now because I didn't, have, didn't know what to pray for. So he's there helping, helping, helping. He's helping you to be blameless. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, we read this and it, it talks very much about what you have to do here. He says, but in a great house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and, hay and clay, some, of on, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so there's something you have to do. What is it you have to do? What does the text tell you have to do? I'm listening. That's right. Cleanse yourself. So that's something. You take a shower in the morning, don't you? You have a shower in the morning and you go to work and you come home at night time, you have a shower at night time. Hmm? Some of you might have two or three showers a day. You, you might like to have showers. That's good. Cleansing yourself is a good thing. It's something that you do just to keep your hygiene up. It's just to keep you there. It's the same idea. You have to do that work. You have to cleanse yourself. God is not going to do it for you. He's not going to say to you, Heike, you don't have to do anything. I'm just going to, you just don't have to worry about the stuff that's going on in your life. You get some dirty hands, he says, wash your hands. If we confess our faults, he is faithful and just to forgive us our faults and to cleanse us from all on. That confessing is your responsibility. Jesus is not going to get down and confess your sins for you. He's done the work to cleanse you of your sins. You have to get in there and wash yourself. You have to ask Jesus to... And the devil says, oh, you've done it again. You did it again. You did it yesterday and you've done it again today. And he said, well, yesterday Jesus didn't... He can't remember because as soon as you confess it to him, he forgets it, throws him to the sea of his forgetfulness. So it's like you're fronting again to God and saying, I've done it again. He says, what? He says, you've done it the first time again. Like, he just doesn't remember the last. Just get it. Clean yourself. Have a shout. If you did that little work every day of saying, Jesus, help me. I made some stuff-ups today. I did some stuff that was, wasn't appropriate. I spoke rashly. I, I, I thought immorally. I, I spent money unwisely. I did things that I wasn't happy about and I knew you weren't happy about them because I felt you grieve inside. So I'm really sorry about that. And if you did that every day, you'd be surprised how good your health, spiritual health would be. The trouble is you don't wash every day. You don't take a shower every day. And some of you come to church and you stink. It's evident that you haven't washed. I mean, when you walk in here, we can see the dirt on you. And it's not that we don't love you. It's we love you, sure enough, but you just didn't wash today. We can smell you. Alan, I'm not meaning you. I mean, it's okay, Alan. We get that. But there's something we have to do. But it's not, the motive is not to do it because we have to do it to get accepted. It's to do it just to stay clean, to keep the cleanliness there. And that's what we're told in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. is therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I like this, this uh, attitude that Paul has here because it reflects back into our readings, worldwide reasoning. You would have been reading about the... The, the children of Israel coming into the promised land now. They, were, they would have taken over Jericho and they would have just gone now to Ai and been defeated in Ai or some, something in Ai and, and they would have found Achon, the guy that had, had done the stealing of the, the, the gold and stuff and they would have put him to death and, and, and you would have think, oh, this is, 
crazy. Why do you have to go into this place and kill everybody? Well, God said to them, you've got to go there and you've got to rid the land of all of these people. You can't have a relationship with them because they'll take you away from God. And so he gave them a divine decree to go and overtake the land and to kill off the inhabitants of the land. Now, you and I can get upset about that. And I, I read the, the Old Testament and I sort of struggle with that. But we've got to see it from God's perspective, not from our perspective now. From God's perspective, these people had built up their evil before him and, and the Israelites were the judgment of God that was coming upon them because they were sacrificing their babies in fires and doing really horrendous things. And God wanted to clean the land, so to speak. And he said, you can't be partners with them. You have to put them to death. Now, in the New Testament, we're not told to go to Kingston and kill everybody in Kingston. That, that's probably an Islamic sort of idea. We're not like that. We're told to put to death the members in our body which are fornication. Well, fornication is this way of thinking immorally. You know, uncleanness and passion and evil desires. All the things that would lead us into the wrong way. They are the sort of ideas that we have to put to death. The Bible tells us that the Hittite, the word Hittite in the, it was one of the enemies that they had to get out of the land. And the Hittite means fear. They had to get rid of fear. Others meant uh, immorality and pride. So there was a picture always winding through the, 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 the Canaanites' lives that was something of a picture of what we were going to do in our, in our life in Christ, that we were going to put to death these things. And so there's a parallel. Now, when we're coming out of the land of Egypt, God opens the sea for us. He gives us the ability to walk on. When we're hungry, he feeds us with manna from heaven. He gives us quail on the wing for meat. He gives us uh, fresh water out of a rock that's split. You can go and look at some of those uh, documentaries and see the places where they actually took place. You can see the split rock. You can see the mountain with the burnt top on it. You can see the oldest coming out. If you haven't seen that video that talks about the fire on the mountain of God, come and talk to me later. Shandella's got it at her place, and she'll, sit, she'll give it to you, and you can take it and, and have a look at it. It's an amazing thing. Here's archaeological discoveries that shows what happened on the mountain really took place. You see it all there before you. None of it's been touched. It's still, still there. Amazing stuff. And um, when they came into the land, they were told not to cohabit with those who were in the land because they, they were all these evil uh, people. So they come into the place. God provides for them. He feeds them. He cleanses them. They get to the, the front land. And when they get to the border and they're ready to go in, God says, I'm going to stop the manna. I'm stopping working now for you. No more meat, no more manna. He says, eat from the field of the land. Eat from the land. So they had to go out and they had to cut down and they had to get and start to work. See, God does that work to bring us to salvation. And once we get across the lake and once we get across the, the, the Jordan River and we're in that place now, it's not like there's nothing left to do. We sometimes think, well, once I'm saved, I'm saved. It's okay, I'm taking my home, Lord Jesus. That would be lovely if that was the case. But we get across the river and immediately in front of us, there's a, there's a walled city that we have to overcome. Immediately in front of us, we have to start harvesting the land and eat the food from the land. Immediately in front of us, there's work that we have to do. Some of us get saved and think, well, that's just the effort of getting saved was the... No, Jesus brings you to salvation. He does all the work to get you there. And once you're there, he says, now it's your turn. 100% from me, 100% from you, we'll have a good relationship from here in. That's what he's asking for me. There's a picture in the Old Testament and it's likened in the New Testament. When you get saved, the work has just begun. Oh, yes, you're okay. You're set with Jesus. That's right. But you've got some work to do. You've got some work to do. 
You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So how does God do this and how do we do this? That's good questions. How does God work it out in our lives and how do we work it out in our lives? Well, I like Romans 8 and, I, and if you turn to Romans 8 in your Bible, if you've got your Bible there, we're going to travel through Romans 8 pretty quickly but we're going to try and talk to you about what's there. He says in verse 2, he says, we know in verse 1 it says, for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're talked that, that God doesn't look at us and condemn us. So we can feel condemned ourselves when we look at our own sin. Paul was saying in chapter 7, he says, Oh, oh wretched man that I am, who will free, free me from this body of death? It was like he was chained to a dead person. Some of you live in lives where you're, like you're chained to somebody who's dead. You're like you're dragging somebody along with you. That person is leading you down the drain. He's dragging you down the drain and you're sort of like dragging yourself and trying to do the right thing, but you keep on doing the wrong thing. It's like you really haven't got to the place where you're free from it. And so he comes and he says, well, well, hang on there. He says, don't be condemned because if you're in Jesus Christ, there's something wonderful taking place and I want to tell you about it. So he says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin and death is the principle of sinning and keeping on dying on the inside, keeping on sinning and keeping on dying, which is what he was talking about in chapter 7. And he says, the principle of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from that principle of habitually sinning and dying. When I was in, high school, when I was in um, uh, Bible college, I, I figured that this was pretty important, you know, because if there was a principle of life in Christ Jesus that set me free from the law of sin and death, I certainly wanted to know what it was because I was very tired of sinning and feeling that death inside of me. You might be okay with sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting and sinning and repenting. I'm not okay with that. I think that's not a, not a good place to live. And I would rather live righteously and keep on living righteously than keeping on falling over and getting up and falling over. And get, I know the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but I don't like the habit. I like to get on my feet and walk. I'd like to learn to run next. I don't want to keep on tripping over. So you might be falling and saying, oh, well, how can I get it? He said, well, here's some good news. I said, I want to know what the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is because it set me free, past tense, from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on and he says these things. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as account, on account of sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. So we know that. You can't be made right by keeping the law. So if I set a, a set of rules there for you, and I said, now, Brandon, listen to the rules. These are the rules. Now, do the rules. All the rules will tell Brandon is where he keeps on muffing it. It'll tell him where he's stuffed up. The, rule can't, the book can't actually make him do the right thing. He's got to choose to do the right thing. No book or no set of rules can make you do the right thing. They only tell you where you broke it. There's no power in a book to change your life. Nothing in the book can change you. You can read the rule and you can say, the rule tells me I just broke it, but I, I can't, it doesn't give me any power to live. And God knew that. He says, for the law could not do. He said it was weakened by the flesh. It couldn't actually change you. You could offer all those things, but you kept on, you know, the rules were there and the rules were regularly broken. You kept on coming and kept on offering sacrifices. There was no liberty for that. He says, verse 4 tells us, Jesus came and did something amazing that the required, righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, this is a two, there's a double banger here. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Does that mean that Jesus did it and made me blameless? 
and I don't have to strive? Or does it mean that Jesus did it because I couldn't do it and made a way for me to do it so that I can do it now? Which one is it? You could read them both. You could put them both in there. Jesus did what I couldn't do so that I can do what I couldn't do. Jesus did something that was completely amazing and he did something that set me free so that if I just listen to him now, I can keep on listening to him and keep on doing the right thing. Then I asked the question, what's the righteous requirement of the law? Any ideas? Well, the righteous requirement of the law is, as I can see it, immediate obedience. When you see a sign that says 60, can you drive past it at 80 and, and slow down 100 metres from the sign? No. I say, well, I was intending to. I had good intentions to slow down, officer. I was only 100 metres past the sign. I would have slowed down eventually. He said, no, when you see that sign and your car passes that sign, immediately we expect you to be travelling at 60. So you should be slowing down before you get to the sign so that when you hit that sign, you're travelling at 60. And all those who just got that revelation... Immediate obedience is the righteous requirement of the law. So let's put it this way. God did something amazing so that we could do something that we could never ever do before. We could live in immediate obedience if we listen to the Spirit and not to our flesh. Now let's see if we can just fill this out a bit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So here it is, something that I'm doing. If I'm living to the flesh, I'm thinking about the things of the flesh. You know that party that we're going to go to later, you know, Phil? You know the one? You got the stuff for us? You got the junk? Oh, oh, sorry, your mind. Our mind is fixed on something else which is fleshly. And if we say we are in God and our mind is fixed on the flesh, then we're thinking about flesh even though we say we're walking in the Spirit. He says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They think about it. You know, I'm thinking about it. All, I can't, all I'm thinking about is that telephone. I want to get that telephone. Oh. I just want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. And once I get the telephone, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I can do this. And, and what about your word-wise reading? What? I'm just thinking about the telephone. You see, we get, we get locked in on stuff. He says, the mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh and those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded or worldly minded or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity or hatred towards God for it is not subject to the law of God nor neither indeed can it be. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so he's actually saying it's the way you're thinking about stuff. It's what you're setting your mind on. So here it is. Are we now saying that this Christian walk that's blameless is just to think good things? Think wholesome things, positive things, positive thinking. Well, no, it's actually not because it's talking about the mind of the spirit. Now, the spirit is not a realm of... of, uh, good thinking that we should be thinking about. Like, you know, if I'm thinking about things of the Spirit, I'll be pondering on the reading that I just read uh, in the Bible. Or if I'm thinking about things of the Spirit, I'll be pondering on the things I could pray in the morning. No, no, no. When you're thinking about the Spirit, you're thinking about those things that the Holy Spirit who is in you is telling you to think about. 
The response of your heart with the Holy Spirit who is living within you is not you setting up a spiritual realm which is of good works which you're trying to think about all the time. That's positive thinking and that's not going to get you to heaven. You know, don't have negative thoughts in your life, have positive thinking in your life. It's not going to get you to heaven. Spiritual thinking is not thinking about good things. It's thinking about Jesus and what Jesus would have you do. And when it says the Spirit thinking about spiritual things, it's talking about keeping your mind intact with the Spirit and He's walking and He's talking and you're listening and you're guided by Him and He's leading you. So it's a relationship. It's not a bulk of stuff that you have to be meditating on. It's a relationship that you're meant to be walking in. So this dynamic of perfection, this dynamic of blameless, it comes because you are walking with the blameless one. You're walking in step with him every minute of the day. You're thinking, Jesus, what would you have me do? You're conscious of his presence with you. Your mind is set with him. Galatians chapter 5 says, I say that walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now this is not, when we get this idea that walking in the Spirit is sort of walking in some sort of spooky realm, mm, like you get some sort of prayer mantle all over you and the Holy Spirit is on you and you can feel Him in your hands, I can feel Him in my feet and there I walk, I'm just feeling the presence of God all over me. And you're sort of like you're walking in some realm, you know. Now wait a minute, it's walking in hand with Jesus. This is a whole different thing. Than walking in some spooky place. Walking with Jesus. With your hand in his. And having him communicate to you. What do you feel about that? He went to sleep in church a few minutes ago. Look at his red eyes. You can tell him. He doesn't know I can see. I can see it. I mean, I just call his name. When you go to sleep, you get called. What do you think about that, Jesus? What do you think we should do with him? Duct tape. Duct tape, okay. <laughs> Better sit down there, Jesus. <laughs> so walking in the Spirit is not walking in some realm which is some sort of mystical goodness realm. It's walking with a person, the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 17 says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. Here we have the things that the devil wants you to do and he putting strong desires and against God, against the spirit of God who resides within you. So spirit of God wants you to walk away. He says, walk this way with me, ma. Walk this way. Keep content with me this way. And the devil comes and says, you know, why don't you do this way? And Jesus says, what do you think about doing that? You want to do that? You, that's that. Oh, come on, walk this way, Jesus. You see, it's walking with Jesus. It's not, you get into your head, you've got to do some good stuff. It's like your good Christian living stuff is separate to Jesus. I mean, Jesus, you sort of pick up every now and again. Talk to him in the morning, talk to him at night, pat him on the head. He's like a good dog, doesn't go away, you know? He's there when you need him. It's not like that. It's like having your wife or your husband on your arm continuously and communicating continuously with him or her. Finding out what they're thinking and feeling about. Living with them. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these, are not con- so, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You, you sit there and the flesh says, why don't you do this? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Why? Jesus inside of me says don't. Simple as that. Romans 5, he goes on, Romans 8, he goes on and says, and in Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
because the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so it's Jesus dwelling in you, he says, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. His Spirit who dwells in you, a person living in you. You're not doing good works. You're in relationship with a person who is living in you. It's not about trying to do things that please God. It's about living in a relationship with the Spirit who is in you. Every day you get up, hello Jesus, good morning. What would you have me do, Holy Spirit? I can do nothing without you. Let's have a little bit of a chat. Not wake up and then half an hour later and think I should have spent some time in the Bible. That's a good thing I should have done. I didn't do it. And you beat yourself because you didn't do a good work. Listen, Jesus was where he was when you woke up and where he was when you were asleep. And he was there in your dreams. If you think about this and you keep on going this way, you will dream about Jesus. Some of you have got Jesus set out somewhere on a planet rotating around you somewhere. And then on Sunday, you lift your hands and see if you can touch the planet. And if the song is just nice, you go, oh, I touched the planet. <laughs> Feel good now. And, you, and you've got some sort of connection with God on some emotional level. But listen, Jesus didn't. He doesn't live out there. He'll, he's there inside of you. He's there in your head. He's there talking to you every day. He's not letting you go. He's, he's scrutinizing every thought that you have. He's at every decision that you make. He's there present at the making moments, at the sleeping moments, at the interaction moments. He's there continuously. And he's there to help. And walking in the Spirit is not walking in some goofy realm where you start to act like you're God or something. Walking in the Spirit is walking in a relationship with the Spirit of God who is indwelling you. It takes all the nonsense out of Christian living. He says, therefore, the spirit of raising from the dead dwells in you. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put the deeds to death, the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So the Holy Spirit is going to help you put to death the deeds of the flesh. And he says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now listen to what he says. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy God, Daddy Father. Abba Father is, is, is the word for Daddy. Brandon, let me help you. You're called into a relationship with the Holy Spirit who comes with him and says to you, I'm your dad. Walk with me, and I'll never leave you. You don't need anything else. I'll be with you in every situation. Stay with me. And when you fall in love with me, you don't want to ever let me go. You hang on to me, and we do our life together. And inside of him jumps a desire. Daddy, God, Daddy, I love you. You're my dad. I care about you. That's what you're called into. 
you're called from a life alone and broken and you're called into a relationship where your heart cries, Abba, Father, God, Daddy, God, I love you. And then you're called to walk with him for the rest of your days. This is not trying to be good. What a church concept that is. Christianity plus. This is called into dynamic. This is called into a relationship that's so meaningful that will swallow up all of your vacuum. You will have somebody with you from that time on who will be able to talk to you about every life choice. You won't have to say, I don't know what to do. You just call out, Daddy, God, what is it? Speak to me. And Father God will come to you and he'll put his arms around you because he's not very far away. He's right with you. He's living in your heart. And he will say to you, look this way. And you'll learn to listen to him and you'll hear his voice. And where he is, that's where you'll go. All the way to glory. You'll be children, heirs, heirs of God. And you'll be glorified together with him. Now, this is what it says in John, John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, he who says he abides in him, notice that idea of abiding or living in Jesus. It's not living in a code of ethic that is good, being churchified. It's living with Jesus. It says, he who abides in him, and it says, ought himself to walk as Jesus walked. Now, there's a little bit of a secret there, John is telling us. How did Jesus walk? What was it like for Jesus when he was on earth? Because if we're going to incarnate Christ's relationship with God on earth and we're going to live as the incarnation of that towards our men, then whatever Jesus was doing with the Father, I have to be doing with the Spirit of God. That's the sort of duplicate of it. I incarnate it. So whatever Jesus is doing and how he is reflects himself to the Father. So it's the same with me and the Holy Spirit. It says it's just the same. Let me see if I can give you some scriptures to support that. He says, then Jesus answered them, John chapter 5 verse 9, and Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And so what he's actually saying is, Jesus says, Here I am. He says, I'm going to tell you a little secret, says Jesus. I can't do anything of myself. I only can can do what the Father shows me to do. So we'll get a bit of a glimpse into Jesus. We know that he's waking up early in the morning, that the Father God is, because Isaiah says, he he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Early in the morning, Jesus was woken up. He's sitting there and God's speaking to him and saying, you know, today you're going to go to Samaria. You're going to go not round Samaria, you're going to go to Samaria. You're going to sit at the well there. There's a lady. I'm got, you're going to have to talk about that to this lady. And they said, well, why are we going to Samaria? I need to go to Samaria. Why, Jesus? Why do you need? Oh, because I've got to do an appointment there. Or we'll go and get some food. And then this woman comes. And this woman comes and talks to Jesus. How did that all happen? How did that little arrangement happen? I'll tell you how it happened. God set it up the day beforehand. And Jesus said, I don't do anything except the Father tells me what to do. He says, and what the Father tells me to do, that's what I do. He says, without him, I can do nothing. 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus says the same things when in John 15, he says in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Well, there's an amazing similarity there. You can't do anything without Jesus and Jesus couldn't do anything without God. Snap. So here we have a dynamic that is, we're told to look at. This walk that Jesus had with the Father, whereby he was manifesting the Father's ideas and the Father's thoughts, is now replicated into our lives where we are, to, we are called to walk in this incredible dynamic with God, our Father, and begin to reflect what our Father is telling us to do. When was the last time you sat there and said, Father, what is it you want me to do tomorrow? Or did you just think the day was planned? You looked at your diary and it was already set? You have all this stuff planned in your life. He said, Jesus, what do you want me to do tomorrow? And you said, I'm just, he said, just wait. I'll tell you when we get there. Be ready. Imagine if you lived life on the edge like that, you know, waiting for an instruction from your father who's living with you. And you're going through life and he says, stop, talk to this person. Okay, I don't have the words. Just open your mouth, I'll fill it. Wouldn't that be a bit scary? There'd be a bit of a boldness there, wouldn't you? <laughs> Open your mouth, I'll fill it. I, do, I just feel I need to talk to you. I don't know really what to say, but anyway, I just... Incarnating Christ. He says in, in John chapter 6, verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's what he said. In Ephesians, we're told by Paul, said... God has made known to us and manifest to us his will. He made known his will to us. Jesus says, I only come to do the will of the Father. He says, I'm making my will known to you so that you can do it. When we look at the scripture and we see in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 20, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a new and living way. A new and living way. So this has nothing to do with like the old way. What was the old way like? The old way was like you had a rule, set of rules, and you had to try your hardest to live according to this. This is a new and living way. You don't have any rules anymore. You've got the rule giver inside. You don't have any laws outside governing your life. You've got the law giver on the inside. You don't have to know what's right or wrong because he's there telling you what's right and wrong. He's cleansed your conscience from dead works that you would serve a living God. And he's there presently with your conscience telling you that's not right, this is right, that's not right. But you don't think it's him. You think it's just you. You are separating yourself from God and giving yourself a sheet of to-do lists where rather than walking with, in sync with Jesus, you're putting him out there to orbit you rather than living to walk with him. This is a new and living way, he says. Open for us through the curtain that is his body. Let me talk to you about this new and living way. John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17. If you're taking notes, write this one down. I'm not going to put these scriptures up. So if you're taking notes, you write the scripture reference down. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, comforter, the Spirit of God, to help you and to be with you forever. So in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to go away. And they're all freaking out because they think Jesus, their hero, is going to leave them. He says, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to comfort you. The word advocate means he's going to fight for you. 
If you have an advocate in the court, the advocate will actually defend you. He will defend your case. He's a good folk to have on side. The advocate is the guy that you want to stand up for you when everybody else is attacking you. The advocate will come in and he'll stand between them and you and he'll take them out. The advocate will look after you. Jesus says, I'm going to go away because I'm locally stuck. You know, when I'm here, I'm here. And when I'm there, I'm there. I can't be there for everybody. When I go away, he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he'll be there for everybody. And he'll fight for you. He'll be inside of you. He says, he says, he's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And listen to what it says here. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, let, let's just run that by again. You know him. Turn to your neighbor and say, I, I meant to know him. And that's about the size of it. That's about the size of it. You're meant to know him. But you're really... It's difficult, isn't it? Is that Jesus or is that me? But Jesus said categorically, you will know him. He will live with you and he'll be in you. So we've got, this, we've got to shift this thing in our head that says you're meant to know him and change that to I know him. I remember praying this one day when I was in the ministry and I'm thinking of this, you get some, some of this stuff comes to you late. And I'm getting down on my face here, oh God, in my chair, and I'm d- leaning into the back of my lounge room chair, dangerous thing to do. You go to sleep and everything. You're like, oh, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. God, I don't need to know you. What do you want me to do, God? Well, I don't know you. I don't know. I'm hearing myself talk. And I get up on my chair and I open my Bible to this passage of Scripture and it says, you know him. And I'm thinking to myself, I just said I didn't know him and I'm wanting to know him better. And it's like I don't know him. And it's like this, 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 something's not quite right here. Either I do know him and I'm not recognizing him like I'm hearing him and I'm not attributing it to him or I don't know him at all and I'm, I'm lost. So I didn't like that idea. So I figured I must be hearing him, but I'm not attributing it to him. And then it all became clear. I discovered I had a friend with me. That all the little ideas that were coming into my head that speaking to me, the, all the ideas that sort of challenged me weren't my ideas at all. They were the Spirit of God who was living in me. And I, I really knew what He wanted me to do. just didn't have the confidence to do what He wanted me to do. But once I addressed it and said, yes, I do know you, that made a whole lot of difference because I couldn't weasel out of actually obeying then, could I? Because I knew it was Him. But if it was just me, I could say, oh, I don't know whether it's me or God, you know. Just leave it. Step into mediocrity. And the Bible says in John 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of things that I have said to you. You know, maybe sitting in the, in, and you've done some Bible reading and you go and sit in the shower and some crazy thing comes through your head and you know you shouldn't be thinking that crazy thing and all of a sudden, a word from God comes in and it penetrates your mind. All of a sudden, you're thinking about a scripture. Out of the blue, it just drops into your head. Say, whoa, look at that. I'm just thinking about a scripture. Where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. The advocate is right there beside you. He could see your thoughts and he said, I think I need some of this. And he puts the word of God in you to think about it. Very present in the day of trouble. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How shall a young man keep his way clean? By keeping the cord into thy word. And then the Holy Spirit says, here's the word. 
But you didn't even say, oh, well, thanks for that. Thanks for that word, Holy Spirit. I'm acknowledging your presence right now. You just gave me the word. You just said, oh, that's crazy. You thought you put it out of your head and kept on thinking of the wrong thing. You wonder why you have problems? The Holy Spirit said, hey, come on now. This is the word for you. Take the sword of the Spirit now and stand. And you just dismissed that it came from the hand of your advocate who lives within you. The one who said, I will teach you and I will guide you and I will lead you. You dismiss it to the outside and you put God in some orbit. And you live with God at a distance rather than God inside of you to make an incredible difference. In John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And so the Holy Spirit will start speaking to you, and you'll be sitting there, oh, I think I'd like to do... And he says, oh, I don't want you to do that. Why don't you take the bus today? You say, oh, I don't know. And then you discover something amazing, that if you'd taken some route, something else could have happened that was really bad, but you took this route, and God brought you somewhere else. Wouldn't you love to keep in step with somebody who knows what is to come? He would keep you away from the places where the bombs are going to go off. Or he'd take you right to where the bomb is going off so that you can make a difference if the bomb is going off around you. It's recognizing his presence. In John chapter 16 verse 14 says, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So here we have this link. We have Jesus living inside of us. We're walking with him. We've asked him to come and he's cleansed us from our sins and he says, I'm with you now. The Holy Spirit is with us. We get to have, let's, let's be really outside of the realms of sensibility. We become possessed. Or you can be possessed of evil. We become possessed of God. He's there, in you, talking to you. You say, oh, this is schizophrenic, is it? Is it? Is it really? It's the choice of having the Spirit of God with me or having... He gives it to me. He's possessed me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, we're told these words. What we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So the Holy Spirit's come and living with us. He says, you know, you're having trouble with that Bible reading? Here, get down to the Word now and start to read the Word. And then all of a sudden it becomes alive to us. Something is just, I can see it now. I can see it now. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, no, I thought I'd show you that later. You know, here it is now. Isn't that, doesn't that blow your mind? And you ring up something. Yeah, I read this in the Word of God. But you never attributed it to the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who opened your mind. You never sat down and took some time and said, thank you, Jesus. You just thought you had a good revelation. I was reading this passage of Scripture and, oh, I don't, don't I have some spiritual prowess? You know, I can see some stuff, hey. Dummy, you, didn't, you can't see anything without Jesus. He's the one who opened your mind. He's the one who gave it to you. He said it. I, I'm here to help you. And Paul recognized that this was the center of everything and he and he said in Ephesians chapter 117, he said, I keep asking the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the core issue. Oh, that we would know him better. 
that we would walk with Jesus and know Jesus, the Spirit of God who indwells us, and we would know him better so that as we walk through life, we wouldn't go in the path of wickedness and go in the path that is wrong. We would listen to his voices, prompting his directive, his guidance as he leads us on a daily basis. We would have our ears pricked to him and we would listen to him. Where would you have me go, Jesus? What would you have me say, Jesus? I want to walk with you today. I want to live with you today. I want to speak for you today. I tell you what, if you lived that way, you would make a difference that you would never believe. God would take you places that you could never go otherwise. He would show you things that you would never see. He would take you and he would make you one man in a, amongst millions. One woman amongst, you know, I'm talking to you now. One or two of you will get this. The rest of you will forget it. That's a sad reality. But that's your choice. You choose whether you want to be the crazy one. You choose whether you want, Jesus, I wouldn't have life if it wasn't for you. I'm going to give my whole life to you now. You gave you 100% to me. I'm going to give 100% to you now. I'm going to just do whatever you want me to do. Mate, that's radical thinking right there. You're ready to turn the world upside down. And God can take you. And he might take you a long journey. And he might take you 50 years of work to do his will on you. And he might take you a short journey. He might make you a Stephen. You might get to preach one sermon before they kill you. But then that's God, isn't it? And he can choose. And what you want to do is be in the middle of his will. Smack in the middle of doing what Jesus wants you to do. Even if it's a short while, it's bright. If it's a long while, it's persistent and it's faithful and it's considered. Romans chapter 5 says the Holy Spirit pours love into our hearts. Romans chapter 14 tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but listen to what it says, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We used to think righteousness, peace, and joy in the... That's the you think, wait a minute. This is the Holy Spirit who's living inside of you, and it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy with the Holy Spirit who's living inside of you. We're told in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 14 that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. He's walking with you. He's fellowshipping with you. He's there with you in the boat. In Titus chapter 3 verse 5 he says, uh, He saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit? Where is he living? In us. In 1 John chapter 2, we're told, we know that we have become to know him if we keep his commands, his injunctions. We know him if we keep doing the things that he wants us to do. You know, the Holy Spirit, we're told in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is in us. We are a temple for the Holy Spirit. Blamelessness is not because I'm able to live according to some ethical code, which is Christian. Blamelessness comes because I walk with the blameless one in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that may take me to places where you couldn't go or wouldn't go. Jackie Pullinger went to the walled city in, in Hong Kong. 18 years old, blondie. How old are you? Hey, 19. Stand up. Everybody see you. This is 19 years old. Okay, she was 18. Blonde hair too. Jackie Pullinger. So connected with Jesus that she wanted to make a difference. Asked Jesus, what would you have me do? That was a year ago. 
And a year ago, God spoke to her and said, when she was 18, go to the walled, China, walled uh, city of China in uh, Hong Kong and become a missionary for me there. Oh, of course, you can sit down. How stupid is that? Nobody in there can't get down only through one gate. You get there, it's full of warlords, triads, gangs and stuff. They'll rape you and kill you and throw your bones and eat you probably. Go to a missionary organization and all the righteous ministers will tell you, oh, no, 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 we can't, we can't support you to do that. It would be negligent to actually send a woman into that place. It would be negligent. It would be dangerous. We would be strung up and, and we would be called out and we'd be shot and we'd be hung and brought by everybody. The minute that you were raped and killed, it would become known that we actually supported you going there. We can't support you to go there. But at 18, she heard the voice of God speak to her. At 18, she heard God say, come with me. At 18, she listened to the voice of Jesus and she walked a path that was way, way outside of what anybody else would tell her she could do. She walked into that place. And God kept her and protected her, filled her with his Holy Spirit, gave her power through the gifts of tongues and gave her ability to pray for people who were going through cold turkey and delivered them from their drugs and addiction. He kept her safe. He protected her life. Why? Because she was blameless? Yes, because she listened to him and was willing to go. And when it all came down and they were going to push that place down because it was so filled with corruption... They said, we will give you an island in the harbour so that you can keep your ministry going. This is the government. So the government gave her an island in the Hong Kong harbour where she still runs her ministry. Don't tell me that you can't do this. You choose not to do this. Ask yourself the question, if you inclined your ear to listen, like one being taught, is he there to speak? Dare yourself to make a difference. Dare yourself to be blameless. Dare yourself to stand up and take it for Jesus. Dare yourself to be great, to make his name great. What will you do? Live in some mediocre, trying to be good, fronting at church every Sunday, putting on your Christian hat, making everybody think you're doing all right, but really you're living somewhere else? Or you're going to listen to the Spirit of Jesus and say, you know, you died on the cross and you dwell me not for, for nothing but for something and I want to make sure my life counts for something. I don't want to die doing nothing. I want to die doing what you want me to do, Jesus. Where are you living? What is this about for you? Blamelessness is listening to Jesus and doing what Jesus wants you to do. That's as simple as that. You don't need a great rule book. You don't need a doctrine of... of Certain things that Christians ought to most do, you just need Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm coming to live with you. If you just walk with me, it'll be fine. The spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Let's bow our heads and ask Jesus to help us. Father, we just come to you right now. We thank you because your presence is right here in this place. We thank you that you never leave us, nor do you ever forsake us where we may boldly say the Lord is our helper. We shall not fear what man shall do unto us. Father, you have committed yourself to be with us through your Holy Spirit. We know you are here. We hear your voice. Jesus, you said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. 
Father, we ask you to help us to acknowledge you every second of every day, to follow you, to be guided by you, to live in obedience before you, Father, so that we can be all that you intended us to be. For your great name we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Go and live blamelessly this week. Listen to Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And tell me what happens. Because there's some good things just waiting to take place as you walk with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you.